Lauren. And this is the journey to transformation. We're in different places. This is weird. I am definitely in a very different place at the moment. (laughs) I'm recording directly from a toilet cubicle. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) that's how committed we are to this podcast. Tia's gone to record in a toilet cubicle on her clinical trial. I am in a clinical trial at the moment. So this is the only place I could find that was quiet. (laughs) This is very unique. Do the other people that you're staying with know that you're a podcast host? No, they don't know about my saying yet. Or that we're uh, we're television stars because we have also been on the TV recently, haven't we? (laughs) Yes, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we've talked about that on the podcast, actually. Okay, we'll Instagram about our um tv lives but it was uh it was just for for van life really wasn't it i can't remember what the fucking show is called <laughs> so yeah we'll um we'll put out some uh, instagram bits about our time on tv so yes TV. lots of people asking you for autographs i imagine then this is the first one we've done where we've not been in the van how do you feel about that? Oh, is 50, that true? 58 episodes. Oh, yeah, wow. 50, episodes, yeah. I think we deserve a round of applause for 50 episodes, over 50 episodes in the van. <laughs> oh, wait, I have to press it to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that you're going to get a bit slap happy with the podcast equipment because you've been left alone with it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Tia's usually the ones that's got access to all these buttons. I can, I can often lean across, but that feels a bit weird. So yes, I am looking forward to pressing all these buttons and having some people visit me and record. Anyone who visits me in the next couple of weeks is just going to be invited to sit down and chat. It doesn't matter what it's about. <laughs> Are you going to do a spin-off podcast called Cat and Shit with Lauren? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. That sounds great. Okay. I need a bit of a catchy title. I'll think of something. In the living room I with Lauren. Whoop. That um. was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. Anyway. What are we talking about today? We are talking about non-disclosure agreements. Woo. Ooh. Non-disclosure. You an opportunity. Oh, no. Hit the button there. Okay, wait. See, I missed the opportunity. That's what you get. This is why you're not in charge of the sound effects. (laughs) Your timing is shit. (laughs) Oh, something I need to practice then, clearly. So, non-disclosure agreements. That sounds a bit scary. I don't think it needs to be scary. We're we're talking about it because we have recently been asked as part of a new project that we started to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And that got us into a fun conversation about how shitty and weird and awkward that feels. So we decided to talk about it. Basically, backdoor talk shit about this organization for making us sign one. <laughs> and we have been asked to sign one in the past as well. In my professional life, and this is over, this is now like 15 years of working, I've maybe signed three. Oh, that's so interesting. I actually think, now Now I think about it, I think I've only started signing them in the consultancy space. Since you've been working with me. Yeah, something about you. What are you doing? <laughs> People know you They're and like, you want to <laughs> Well... <laughs> And I think it, it raised so many interesting questions for us about like, what is ethical? Non-disclosure agreements raise some interesting points for us in terms of like the ethical tensions and the transparency and accountability tensions that come with signing something that means you, you know, can't talk about certain things. So we're going to dive into some of those things in this episode. Tia, what, what isn't a, a non-disclosure agreement? Like I always 
personally found it quite a technical, legal, scary space. But as you said, it doesn't need to be. But what is it? I mean, it's fairly straightforward, right? It's an agreement not to disclose anything confidential. That's all. It's very simple. It's a legally binding, either it's a contract in and of itself or it's a clause within a service contract. Since we started doing the consultancy, we've had to sign two non-disclosure agreements. And that's out of dozens of clients. So it's, it's kind of interesting, the distribution of where you see them. But it's effectively just a legally binding thing that kind of details what you're not going to talk about, what you're not going to bring out of that space. In our work, they're primarily used to protect sensitive information, so things that might be related to donors, clients of the organization or organizational strategies. So generally stuff like that is, I mean, none of it is proprietary, but it's more from a general data protection regulation, GDPR perspective that you wouldn't want to reveal stuff like that. You're not. So in a way, it's like intended to protect, right? Or it's intended to safeguard against us like consultants talking about that sensitive information and 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 is that like publicly like is that us talking publicly about it or or to anyone to protect you know information that shouldn't really be out in the public space so ideally you wouldn't be sharing that information with anyone who isn't within the kind of remit of that agreement and so you and i obviously can talk about it because we're within the same agreement for example oh i see right okay so yeah it doesn't limit us talking about those things (laughs) to each other to To each each other other. to each other sorry yes good good clarification um but who determines what's confidential that's sort of the main thing is some people will determine things are confidential after the fact um, when stuff has come out. And that's why I say there's kind of like that feeling of it needing to be a reasonable assumption that it is something that shouldn't be shared. Mm. So you're entering into a space of subjectivity. Um, most contracts will articulate what it is that they deem to be confidential, even if you're not talking about specific documents, you might be talking about specific types of information that would be confidential. Oh, I see. Um, and that will largely be determined by you know, whoever's in charge of the ter- internal policy, depending on the size of the organization. It might They might get a contract consultant to come in and help them understand you know, what it is they want to keep out of the public space that will interact with a kind of operations risk, internal policy, Mm. HR space. So who determines it is, it's kind of up in the air. It sort of depends. But you will just have people using standard non-disclosure agreements and then kind of like using that fairly generically because the terms of them are roughly the same. Okay, that makes sense. And the subjectivity in this space, though, I think is something unexpected for me. Like when I ever see mm. or hear something being like, oh, it's legally binding. And, you know, a lot of our contractual stuff it is, you know, with this kind of language and you're like, oh, gosh. But then you start to unpack it and you realize there's a lot of subjectivity in it. And with non-disclosure agreement, it makes sense to me the confidentiality piece around participants' information and personal information, that kind of thing makes sense to me but then the blurry lines start to come and, and and we'll get into this when you know it's maybe something that you found in research or evaluation that perhaps puts that organization into a bad light or um, showcases some harmful practices that they've done is it the case that in the broad wording of the non-disclosure agreement that those things can also be silenced in the process yeah absolutely it depends on the phrasing but what you'd hope is that the organization 
organization that we'd be, we'd be working with, we'd be working with, would have like a whistleblower policy that kind of was, it accompanies that. So, you know, one of the things that we said, this is not new information to you because you know it and you've also said it, is that when we talk about confidentiality as information for clients, we will always say we will keep things confidential to whatever space that we're working in with some exceptions. And those exceptions generally have to be harm to participants, particularly vulnerable participants like children. So then there's like non-negotiable and then we have to talk about it and we have to share that information. Generally, it's within the organization internally, like we're sharing it around in that same space. But if they're doing something that is genuinely harmful and we haven't been able to mediate in that space, then I'm going to literally tell every fucking person I know. (laughs) (laughs) And listeners, you have no doubt that Tia is going to do that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I I take uh, any safeguarding or protection issue that is not taken seriously and remedied by an organization I'm working with, I will blow up your spot in a minute. I will drag you through the public square. Fairly so. I I think like the the tension there in addition is I mean the the harm thing 100% agree with you makes sense like we have to stand by being able to whistleblow on on harmful practices that we uncover and as consultants that are part of what we do but you know it's it's for me the the conversation to get into is when we're talking about finding a, a something that isn't so harmful but that does have a reputational risk and you know how that meets our values and our feminist principles in terms of challenging power being able to call power to account when somebody has already silenced you right from the beginning and said you need to sign this NDA that really clashes with what we stand for as people yeah I mean you're kind of getting into some of the ethical challenges around non-disclosure agreements and they can serve a useful purpose right like they can be useful in terms of protecting organizations protecting their clients and stakeholders and keeping their information safe. And it can be a really useful way so that you're signaling to other people that you're keeping their confidential information safe. And we all benefit from that. We all benefit from knowing that there's a mechanism where our stuff is kept, our sensitive stuff is kept safe. The problem is where they're misused and they're they're used effectively to like squash transparency and squash accountability. And they're used to cover up things that they just don't want people to know about because they're going to be embarrassed. And it's that accountability, you know, we talk about organizations being accountability averse. And this is where NDAs really kind of interact in that space. You know, we've got a client, we've got a couple of clients that we're working with now, and we're sort of uncovering some of the harder, crunchier bits of their work. And there's a, a real deep paranoia that's kind of settling down into the space where they're acknowledging the fact that they've got nervousness and anxiety around what is going to be shared because they're realizing that actually there's a lot of they're, they're very, very far from the minimum of where they should be. Now, I don't think they can retroactively throw an, an, a non-disclosure agreement on us, but, um, you know, in interacting in that sort of space is where you'd find it being much harder for us to communicate where we might be finding things that are a bit, where we might be able to share things that might be a bit tricky in the public space. It doesn't stop us saying it to them, right? It doesn't stop us from putting it in reports. It doesn't stop us from like bringing that to light. It just means we can't share it publicly, which is the, the bit, like if you needed to talk to somebody about it, they kind of serve to like suppress information. 
and can be used as a shield for misconduct, which is problematic, obviously. Yeah, hugely. And and the transparency and accountability piece, I think, as you mentioned, is really important because we often see these words in nonprofit organizations, principles or values thrown across websites and stuff and how that trickles down into the use of, of, of uh, non-disclosure agreements or suppression of information or reactions to problematic information. Um, I think is is revealing on how those values are culturally lived or or seen in an entire organisation. You mentioned also there that the NDOs in terms of the misuse of them, and you also said that. Sorry, oh my god, <laughs> oh my god, you totally have to edit that out. <laughs> Oh, that's so bad of me. That's the first time I've ever done that. Good thing we control the editing. (laughs) Oh my God, Tia. (laughs) Um, You also mentioned how an organization can't just spring an NDA on you. But in the cases of like the Oxfam scandal in 2018 and other scandals we've seen in the sector where somebody did flag harm, there were reportedly cases of NDA is being used to settle those complaints and means that people couldn't talk about what happened after the fact or after that complaint was settled or, or whatever happened in, in resolving or dealing with that issue. So in a way, that feels a bit like springing an NDA on somebody. I guess it's not in the context of like a long-term project, but it's in the case of, I, I guess, going through a process of reporting and then having that sprung on you and said, now you can't talk about it. That feels incredibly problematic. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I mean is like you can ask someone to sign a non-disclosure agreement anytime you want. I think it'd be really awkward for somebody to try and ask us to do that after yeah. already like, you know, I, I think, I don't mean from like a technical perspective, I mean from like an ethical perspective. I'm not sure if I could take that. <laughs> yeah. Can you say like, so if, if you say no, like what happens? Yeah. Is it on them to decide then? Like, like I'm, I don't know. You can say no and then probably you go into arbitration or something. You have to get somebody to intervene depending on what it was. You, if you weren't under anything around confidentiality of what you could disclose in your initial contract and then you discover or something. From a legal perspective, I'm not entirely sure what happens if you just like no. Generally, we hear of non-disclosure agreements being part of a kind of quid pro quo process. So like you will do what you want us to do if you sign a non-disclosure agreement not talking about it. And so that's stuff that you see a lot in like sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, for example. You'll see somebody say, okay, well, we agree to these terms and one of the terms for us to be satisfied and to resolve this issue is if you sign a non-disclosure agreement. In the context of our work, humanitarian development nonprofit, and you mentioned that NDA is used in, in the cases of sexual harassment, that's just, it's shocking. Yeah. And, and to uncover, as you just mentioned, the ones used in Oxfam and Save the Children sexual harassment scandals, absolutely horrendous. I mean, these are reports um, that came out in the news from like, you know, The Guardian and so on some years ago now, but that that was acceptable, you know, four or five years ago, or it happened, sorry, for not that it was acceptable, but it happened, you know, only four or five years ago. It's, it's so hard to fathom. I mean, anytime you have people interacting in a space of power, there will be people who are going to abuse that power. So the thing that surprises me is that everyone was surprised, particularly with like Oxfam and Save the Children, like that people were surprised. But it's surprising to me that we are talking about it in the context of like one or two scandals. 
when like there will be thousands we just may not know about them mm. because think about the non-for-profit sector like globally is what over 30 million people work in this space i mean that's a rough estimate because obviously you don't know how that <laughs> Sorry, I just got my foot on the toilet. Um, <laughs> hang on a minute. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, we're all in positions of power. And so the idea that for some reason, because we've got like, we're bleeding heart liberal do-gooders, that we are not prone to our baser selves and our, that, that we can't be co-opted by power in some way. is just kind of a wild thing. So it doesn't surprise me that sexual harassment, inappropriate behavior, sexual exploitation have happened in our space. It surprises me that we haven't heard about it more. And it's probably because of non-disclosure agreements, to be honest. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good, that's an interesting perspective on the kind of like gale of its use in the sector and you're right like the ones I mentioned and the ones we see are the only ones we really know about so yeah there's sure but yeah I mean these are instances where effectively I mean because what you're talking about is you're talking about reputational risk so the stakes are really high in our sector because there's a small pool of money like if donors catch wind of you like let's go back to the Oxfam scandal so when you think about like they lost a ton of money from then stiffed to the Department for International Development when all of that came out. The stakes are really high for not-for-profits, especially big ones, to want to keep all their shit in their closet because they know that it's going to affect their perceptions, the perceptions of them from the public, their perceptions of their donors, their perceptions of any perceptions of any partners and country that they will need to work with if they want to maintain any kind of footprint anywhere else in the world. So it's understandable that they would try to use non-disclosure agreements as a way to keep things quiet. And from a rationality perspective, I understand why they happen. I get their use. I just think it's hugely problematic when we don't own up to stuff like this because it, it will eventually come out. Like as we've discovered across this podcast, this world, I, you know, I talk about 25 million people, but for some reason it feels like this space only has about 20 people in it. Yes. And the idea that we're not talking about it and sharing stories and sharing information and, and having podcasts and talking about this stuff is kind of laughable. And at some point people will put together the dots. I understand the utility of non-disclosure agreements, but in some ways they're the enemy of what we seek to have in this space, which is transparency and open to communication and integrity except the fact that you've got shitty people because there sh- are just shitty people in the world like you can't get away from them and then own up to the fact by being really clear that you have a shitty person and you kick their ass to the curb and just be open about that you're right that that openness is like it's almost like unraveling the openness over the past couple of years and i wonder also like the intersection of you mentioned the donors almost you know the stakes are high if donors hear that you did whatever your funding's going to get withdrawn on the flip side of that the sector's kind of moving towards becoming less competitive by working with other people, sharing the kind of space with partners across the world and kind of opening that space, which means becoming less competitive, moving in that direction, I think is also like moving away from any kind of NDA because you have more actors who are working with you and becoming, you know, collaborative in that space. But yeah, let's see. Yeah, I think I have a fundamental disagreement with you about things becoming less competitive just because we as an international national community are trying to make that push towards localization because we haven't done it well enough yet. We're all basically vying for the same six civil society. 
by the organization. So I think we've actually just shifted that competitive environment into other spaces and like crowded other zones out, right? But think about when we're working with people in different parts of the world, we ask for CVs and we look at their CVs and it's the same person who's been working for a thousand different organizations. And we're looking for voices that don't exist in that space. Like we're looking for people to work with who maybe come from non-traditional backgrounds. We're looking to diversify the types of knowledge that enters into the space of our work because we think it's important. But that in and of itself is quite hard to find. So the more we're seeking out people who are constant, who are already, you know, embedded within the the, the the consultancy space, for example, the harder it is to identify people who are on the periphery of that space and to get access to them and for them to get access to us and for us to work together. So I think that localization is still kind of, I don't necessarily agree that it's made it a less competitive space and therefore there is a there is an opportunity for more transparency and openness. I think we've just shifted where the, the competition is and distributed in slightly different ways. Because that competition is sort of shifted out in different spaces now, it almost makes it more likely that people will be secretive about their failings because in that competitive environment, you need every edge that you have. <laughs> no, I think that's a really interesting conversation about perhaps how the competition has shifted from one level to another and, and perhaps a whole nother podcast episode about how the same organizations and individuals are, are working with large international organizations and sort of perpetuating that space of who is available, who is accessible and who has the knowledge, but just now on a different level. We, we spoke on this podcast a bit about like the nexus humanitarian development peace programming coming together and that in of itself also creates kind of the overlap between who you're working with and everyone needs to or everyone wants to bring those organizations together and that again is almost like a an overlap i mean i i think from what we're seeing that people are becoming more open about their failures but again that's only based on what i'm seeing versus what is not there and you know as you rightly said non-disclosure agreements are probably happening everywhere some oxfam and save the children have taken the hit for a lot of people but there's a couple of organizations who refuse to use non-disclosure agreements and i really like that kind of so I, I like that approach of doing it that way. You and I in our work have talked about using non disclosure agreements, whether we should use them or not. And I believe that I think I called you a white supremacist then. <laughs> Sorry, what? When have we ever talked about NDAs before? You asked me whether we should use non disclosure agreements because people were getting access things like frameworks and tools that we had developed as part of like an expression of our knowledge oh, um, yes. so, which would You're effectively right. interact with intellectual property yes. and you said we should be using them so that people didn't steal our stuff and then I had to tell you that everything we have is built off the knowledge of others <laughs> and then you should stop being a white supremacist <laughs> it is no you're right and I definitely from the perspective of transitioning into our own business and like what you create and yes like what we have is like everyone's like a, a collaboration of existing knowledge although to some extent you always want to have that like one percent or even if it's 0.1 percent thing that's just slightly different by virtue of mine and Tia's very you know different experiences in the world that is 
unique than others, different to others. But it was very hard, I think, at the beginning to, to step out of that mindset because you start a business and you need to sell a business and you're like, okay, so what's this unique thing that I'm selling? And I think there is almost like um, a protectionist mindset, which is very capitalist, which is like a lot of the problems in the sector. And I've hugely had that mindset of like being protective about my work, what I've produced and the effort that I've put into it. And it's a very hard thing to kind of switch out of, um, especially when you're starting a business and especially when you're trying to sell yourself. And I very much appreciate Tia just like reminding me of those things and kind of like opening that space in my mind. And I think many of us are kind of going on that journey of moving away from a, you know, this is what I've produced and I need people to see this good work to, you know, let's share it. Let's talk about it. Let's have everybody um, use it. And, and you know, it, it reminds me a little bit of well as well of this kind of um, scarcity mindset that we all seem to have had or still have. This is the reason why NDAs are commonly used, right? Because you're, this thing that you're talking about, this protectionism, is a, a sexual harassment claim is, is that thing that's going to push a donor away from you. And that will have a significant impact, not on your organization, well, on your organization, but your organization is made up of people, right? So it impacts your workforce. And in our space, it's really tricky because like something like that also has implications for the communities that we work in. So I think there's like a really big, there's like a bigger ramification here about what it means to disclose and to not disclose. So if you've got like one fucking dude, because it's always a fucking dude, um, <laughs> you've got one fucking dude who's like harassing a bunch of people. There is a careful consideration in there of like, do I put everybody on NDAs and kick this guy out and deal with it internally? Or do I keep everybody off the NDAs, be transparent about what's happening, and take the reputational risk that I might lose donor funds, might lose public funds, and therefore not be able to do my work, which is delivering this ultimately, you know, hopefully beneficial thing for tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people or whatever, depending on the scale of your thing. It's not an easy calculation to make because, you know, that one fucking dude put a whole can potentially put whole countries and continents in jeopardy depending yeah. on what that organization chooses to do about it. it it's really hard and again like a, a lot of that approaching it differently sits again with like the donors in terms of like how they view the situation and I suppose like the message that they want to send like if you're the Department for International Development or the UK's previous um, development funder if you're them and you're saying you know this is happening in Oxfam you, you hope that they also have the mentality of, you know, this is not every person in Oxfam. This will have an impact on the communities. But the other side of it is it's also DFID's reputation and they also need to send a message that they don't accept this behavior. And and so like, you know, not only is it kind of the the communities and the organization, but like the, the donor cannot be seen to be funding an organization that isn't or has these issues and, and it hasn't addressed them. Yeah, I but I think we're also like kind of coming downstream of the issue, right? Like we're assuming that it's already happened and therefore this is space in which a non-disclosure agreement kind of comes into play in the, in the scenario that we're describing now versus when you and I are asked to sign them at the start of a project, for example. I think for me, like on a fundamental level with these examples that we're talking about, I completely agree that donors have a perception issue. They have a, an issue of like, what it is they're going to stand for, stand against, all of that matters, and it matters for organizations. 
but like let's just not get to that point. Yeah. <laughs> so like, in my mind, you can get rid of non-disclosure agreements entirely if you don't fuck it up in the beginning when you're setting your shit up. Oh, so that, like, wait, wait, how... that deserves a round of applause. Wait. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I mean, that, that's really the heart of it. You know what? I will send you to www.can'tbuymysilence.com, which is a platform that supports individuals who have signed non-disclosure agreements and now want to speak out. It highlights the potential negative impact of NDAs on individuals and organizations. So it's a platform to support people and gives you some resources, details, how you can get your concerns out there. So we'll put this in the show notes and um, go and visit if any anyone listening to this needs support we've talked about dilemmas that really are very complex and subjective but but what do you do what can we do about this so from an organizational perspective really really think about whether you need these fucking things because this is like a i'll tell you what it does the second we got these ndas i was like this may not be the right thing for me and, and you and i both and they kept emailing us and saying have you signed the ndas have you signed the, non- the non-disclosure agreement and i said yeah yeah we're getting to it we're getting to it because i think most of us were having this moment of like if you don't want me to talk about something that i find what am i gonna find yeah and i was like i said to you i said are you signing this <laughs> <laughs> i was like i'm on wait i need to see what dft is signing this or not <laughs> sure it makes the mind run a little bit wild when we're asked to sign it before anything has happened or before we've done anything. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you've kind of got me thinking a bit about like the transparency and openness to the public as well. But if you're going to use them, use them sparingly. Think about if you need these things or if there's something else that's sufficient to cover the concern that you have. Using a generic like pocket law non-disclosure agreement template that may be for a completely different sector and used for completely different purposes is not communicating the right thing. So it's not telling your um, consultants or it's not telling anybody who's interacting on a temporary basis with your organization. It's not communicating anything positive about you. What it signals is that you have a protectionist attitude, you are scared, it communicates like fear, anxiety. Be conscious of what it's communicating when you ask people to, to sign them or when you use them in practice. I think that they need to be really clear and they need to be specific and the scope needs to be reasonable in terms of what they're covering and then needs to be a clear delineation between like your confidential information and the fact that your non-disclosure agreements won't infringe on anybody's individual rights and that the ability of an organization to maintain transparency and accountability is not interacting with a non-disclosure agreement. Yeah. Because that's the main issue is when like they're used in a way or they're misused in a way that prohibits an organization from being transparent and holding itself and other people to account. I think also um, being open to having conversations about them. I still come back to the, that NDAs, what's in them, this conversation we're having. There's a lot of gray areas and subjectivity. So if an organization I met had an NDA, but they were willing to have conversations about it or like maybe discuss a bit more what it meant in practice or like their reasoning for having it, I'd be interested to listen. I mean, it would still not necessarily align with our values, but 
I'd be interested to like listen and have that conversation. So maybe there's also like a room for being open about like why you've chosen to have it and ha- and having that conversation with people rather than just sure. sending it via email. I mean, like a generic copy via email, please sign this, for example. Yeah. And there's potentially a bit of responsibility on our side because I didn't say anything to them because I'd already made a judgment by the fact that they sent it to me in the first place. I'd already made a judgment and decided that like this is not an organization that is going to be one that I'm so connected to, which in some ways kind of like interacts with like our values and potentially we should have just walked away at that point. And I mean, obviously that's a conversation between you and I, but you know, we broke, <laughs> we trying to start a business. <laughs> I think there's also some um, guidance on NDAs on the Charity Commission for England and Wales. And we'll put the guidance in our show notes for anyone who wants to look into it a bit more. Um, The CHS Alliance also has some guidance. I can't remember what CHS stands for. Sorry, everybody. The National Council of Nonprofits has a written code of ethics and looks at alternative ways of using or not using NDAs so definitely one to to look at. Developing a code of ethics is I think quite a a good alternative. The code of ethics is also perhaps more of an organisational wide cultural piece like if you want to move the needle on people's perceptions around NDAs and what's the better way to use them then a code of ethics just feels like bringing a more collaborative piece everybody together rallying around a certain set of behaviours so yeah I I would totally agree that that's one to look at. Okay. Okay well it's a little problematic that you said that because we don't actually have a code of ethics no we we do we do (laughs) we have a code of ethics we do do. yes see Tia's read our code of ethics so Tia let's start from the top (laughs) (laughs) okay so you said a code of ethics that's shared that's collaboratively developed I was not involved in this code of ethics so if we've got it I've never fucking seen it That's so funny. We're both in the wrong here. <laughs> were, you, were you? I was in the wrong. You were being protectionist with your code of ethics. So I don't know about it. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> okay, so let's wrap this up. <laughs> Can you, can you email it to me so I can confirm I'm being ethical? <laughs> yes. In summary, I think this is a really interesting conversation into complexity of an NDA and how they've been used in the past in the sector and what's potentially a better way to move forward. So Tia, thanks for sharing your insights on NDAs. And sure. You're welcome. I mean, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> an expert on non-disclosure <laughs> so don't take any legal advice from this uh, episode um, yeah, I think speak that's to a, somebody who actually knows I think that's a good clause <laughs> but we would also love to hear your stories as consultants as people in the sector if you have any experiences using or um, being um, shared an, an NDO in, in your work um, please let us know drop us an email jrnypodcast at gmail.com we'd love to hear and share your stories or you can hashtag about it Tia what was your hashtag JRNY <laughs> underscore NDA <laughs> okay <laughs> hashtag us about NDAs hashtag JRNY underscore NDAs <laughs> So we look forward to hearing about your stories. Feel free to share. And we'll add all the things we've talked about today, all the resources, um, any advice that we've drawn from other sources. We'll put them in the show notes for you to explore further. I think that's it. Any final words, Tia? No, I gotta go, Tia. It's nearly feeding time. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh gosh, you've been in the toilet for an hour. <laughs> yeah, they feed us at very, very specific times. Okay, yeah. well, you go and enjoy your meal. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us from the clinical trial. I'm Lauren. <laughs> I'm Tia. And this has been Journey to Transformation. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.